if we let ourselves love money, if we let ourselves love the process of how people come into our business, it's like such a mercy, really. A non-ordinary life requires a non-ordinary approach. Welcome to Sears Edge. My name is Juliette Trinka, and I'm here as your guide in living the full adventure and abundance that you came here to live. During my 20 years of practicing as a shaman, I've helped thousands of leaders to unlock their full potential and actualize their vision. What I know is that ritual, leadership, magic, and wealth are intrinsically woven together. This podcast is a discovery of living the full mystery of who you are while opening to deeper trust in life than you've ever allowed. Learn how you can make your quantum leap with us at getlifemastery.com. Hello, Jesse. I am so thrilled to have you here. I'm really honored to be here. So I always ask my guests if they would love to offer a blessing or a prayer or centering. I feel like you kind of just did, but... Is there anything else that wants to be expressed through you? I appreciate the moment to see, just to see, like, can I drop in more? Can I be more present? Can I be more myself? May this time together be a time when all of us are finding our own edge. Like, how can we be even more authentic? Can we be even more loving? Can we be even more, not as a pressure thing, but just just as an exploration, can can we? Is there more love here? Is there more magic here? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. That felt very quintessentially Jesse. Ooh, yeah, I love it so much. And it feels like the perfect segue, right? Because you and I have had so many opportunities for beautiful exploration and transformation and dialogue. And I remember a long time ago having this conversation about like the the essence of your ideal client and how as she, not just your ideal client, but anyone's ideal client, right? As they go on their journey, there are certain things that are going to change, right? There are different desires. There are different um, growth edges, but there's this essence that, that always remains. And so I would just love to hear what is your present moment experience with that core essence of who you are and also like the whirlwind of change i'm like just a little teary Mm. and it's i don't know that it's anything specific that you're saying i think it's about being with you and being myself being with you and then all that you're doing and not doing is dismantling any temptation to be someone else Mm. you know it's it's gosh, on a podcast, like I'm literally getting to witness like all the parts of myself, all the mechanisms in myself that turn on when I'm on a podcast Uh that are extra and unnecessary. And you're just like, you're not even, you're not even paying attention to them. (laughs) Like the anxiety, I had a moment of like, is she going to ask me to introduce myself? She going to ask me to talk? Oh no, she's going to ask me to if I want to meditate, yes. Okay, great. That, that, I can do that. It's like, right? So the, the the kind of fork in the road that's 
you want to be somebody else for a second that's not really you? Oh, no, you don't have to do that here. So the truth, the essence of of me is a heart broken open, which is sometimes sad and scary and painful. But in the name of devotion, in the name of opening, in the name of love, that's like at the deepest level. I think that's that's the truth that's alive in me today anyway. You know, a little layer above that, like you add some some flesh onto those bones. And I'm I'm here for support. I'm here to offer support, to live as support. I'm here to see truth. Lately, when I think about my work in particular, but it's not just my work, it's like how my brain works is like looking at what are the resources that are here. This is why the meditation was so fun. Because I'm like, oh yeah, look, let's look at the resources that are already here. Because it's already here. We are already here. Our true selves are already here. Our purpose is already here. Therefore, the resources that we need must also already be here. We weren't sent here in a spaceship with no clothes or food or like we were sent here with everything. We do all kinds of shenanigans that disconnect us. Culture conditions us to believe that that's not true. There's all kinds of things that complicate it. And so then we spend our lives looking, looking for our shuttle companions and I feel like I am really good. I'm really good at seeing the truth of what the resources are that are already here and helping people reorganize them or see them so that they're working together, so they're lining up, coming on the right time. It's much deeper spiritual, true self-work than it is material resource work. It just so happens that the material resources, I think I think they, they show us where our edges are. Yeah. Thank you so much. That was super generous. And it was really fun to hear you speak about your experience of yourself and to be like, yes, uh-huh, yes, I see that too. I experienced that too. And it's so it's also really interesting to me because of the importance of support, like that word, that frequency, that experience. Just yesterday in my own being, I was having a similar experience, but around attention. And it makes me wonder if, and it doesn't have to be either or, but like, is that a Jesse and Juliet thing? Or is that a generator and projector thing? I mean, when you said attention, I was like, yeah, because you are the queen of projectors. So <laughs> I definitely associate that. Like I ha- I, I think I've shared this with you that I, I have this deep work with a one projector in particular who I didn't have any interest in for the longest time. I didn't want to hear her. I couldn't tolerate her. Like I would look Mm -hmm. on her Instagram feed. And then when we got into a one-on-one exchange, that changed so dramatically. I'm not interested in her unless she's giving me her attention. (laughs) And then it's like, of course it's night and day because projector attention is, is for a generator at least is delicious. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't surprise me at all that that word, you know, I, outside of the human design context, I think I can, I can look my own attention. Of course, Charlie benefits when he has my attention, yeah. all kinds of things, but I definitely see you and I'm experiencing you today as the transmitter of attention. Mm. It is my jam. Yeah. percent. And it, it came through the portal of my husband, John, who, you know, 
And I just realized he is a generator and he is so incredible in his in his attention to me. Mm. Like he was having a conversation with one of his coworkers and he she was talking about her hair, like she had done something different. And he could like speak the language of women's hair because he's paying attention to me when I'm talking about what's going on with my hair. And it was like I wept mm-hmm. because I recognized I was like, God, he's paying such attention to me. And it's part of what I love about him. And I also love giving him attention. Like I love getting attention and I love giving attention. Like it is maybe the projector currency or primal nourishment. Yeah, it it makes me curious about the distinction between attention and recognition. Is there a subset or are they different? Are they on the same axis, but different ends or something? Specifically because because of the human design thing, I'm just like, oh, interest. He's a generator. So his attention is going to feel different than projector attention. But why does it feel different to Juliet? Oh, maybe because he's recognized. Like, so I just was curious if that Mm -hmm. he recognizes your value. He recognizes your potency. He recognizes your who you are. I don't know what that feels like as a projector because I'm not one, but I imagine that that feels really delicious. Yeah. I am I mean, there's a rabbit hole available there, right? Yeah. Because I feel like I have a, a pretty built out catalog of, of how I experience other people's attention, how I experience my own attention, how frustrating it can be when the attention feels partial or insincere or broken and somehow interrupted and like the ecstasy of like clear open total attention and i mean if i want to go a layer deeper i love all of it even the frustration and the you know like all all of it all of it all of it do you think you love all of it like are you built to love all of it or is that a practice that you have cultivated maybe both I'll be curious to hear if there's um, something similar at work in your own being and in your own life. I mean, at a fundamental level, I think we're we're made to love everything all the time, nonstop. And and I really feel that. Like I am passionate about everything, right? <laughs> like there's I don't have like a half-hearted opinion usually about about anything. And to be able to experience that as love, to remind myself that the frustration is love as well. The frustration is a gift as well as whatever's provoking the frustration. That is something that has hugely been amplified in my field as a practice through my all, all the different forms of my relationship with you. Can you say more about that? Well, yeah, absolutely. Joyfully. I just have seen you again and again and again from like a thousand different vantage points choose to be a stand for love to point out, could that be love? What if that was love? What if you didn't have to stop loving? What if you could let yourself be loved? It's almost like a tool that you are wielding to set people free. So there's like... In my left ear, because the spirits and different parts of me always talk into my left ear, there's like this much more that it feels like a nuts and bolts or practical piece. And 
in the moments before we got on, I was thinking about how the experience of change in business and in abundance looks at different points on the journey. I remember being really early in my journey, and I think this is common, like where you think once you kind of get it set up or get it figured out, like it's just, I don't know what it is that I thought was going to happen, but that it would just be somehow chill and like dialed and I would go on with my life. Yeah, But that's not it. And I know that you've been in this like extra vortex of change in your business. So what do you have to share about that? My lens on this at the moment is also quite existential because I feel like there's a part of the, I first of all need to say that I completely relate to the phenomenon that you're describing. I think the whole time I've been in business, I have known that change is real and taught people to work with, prepare for, anticipate change still I have had that same mechanism. I think David Nagel, who was a coach of mine for a long time, would call this some form of bright, shiny object syndrome. Mm. That like actually what I was doing when I was looking for some quick, fast solution was, was to get it to this coast point where I wouldn't have to think about it. People come to me. I think this is a cultural thing, not so much about me, but because I talk with people about money, oftentimes the thing that comes out of people's mouths is they don't want to have to think about it. There's this kind of reaching for a resting state that doesn't change. And I think now, again, this is the, existen the existential part, is that I feel like this is our primal resistance to the, the truth that we die. And it just happens to be in this entrepreneurial space, we try to make our businesses fixed and permanent because we think, again, on like a cellular level or something, there's some part of us that's like, if I do it this way, then I won't die. If I can get it to this point that is that is enlightened or beyond uh, improvement, if it transcends all of that, then it will never die. It will never end. And it's like, I've, I do feel like in the last six months specifically, I have just been in a portal of like, nah, girl. Things are dying and they're dying every day. They're dying every moment. And how much can you stay? Like how much can you stay here and be with that in this time, in this world? Because I actually think as human beings, I don't know, it's a kind of a fantasy, I guess. But I, when I think about us living in the village, indigenous on the land, like in our, in our roots, I, I can feel in my body like, yeah, we're built to remember that we die. Mm -hmm. We are built for that. It's, it's modernity and industrialization and technology that is distracting us. But I, I suppose somebody could say that we also have this sort of built-in resistance to thinking about it. But anyway, 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 bringing myself back. I, I feel like there is nothing that doesn't change. It is complete nonsense to think that we can get anything in place. And yet here you are in this office that I saw you put together and it's not irrelevant either to like build things that we want to last, to think about sustainability. So I'm, yeah, I'm very provoked by your question or by the prompt anyway, you know, my business, it actually, it reminds me of something you said in the first moment of the call about what is the essence that remains, that 
phrase really stood out to me because that has always been, those are different words, but that's always been, I would say, the purpose of my business. I built this business to be myself, to serve as myself, to help other people be themselves and serve and contribute as themselves. That's the part that when I look back, you know, all now I'm coming up on eight years of being in business. Ah, that that it's like if I look back, there is a thread, there is an essence that has never changed, no matter how I've changed, no matter how the culture has changed, no matter how my own interest in my business have changed. And I think that that, that is the best description is is truth. Who are we really? What are we built for? Are we living that way? Mm-hmm. How can we calibrate to be even more ourselves, even more in relationship to truth? But literally everything else is changing around that. I love that so much. I love that so much because what part of what I'm hearing inside of it is you can't lose your essential essence. Mm-hmm. Like you can't it up. You can't get away from it. It's it's there. And no matter how many different directions you go, when you look back, kind of like what I think of as eagle view, right? Like really looking from that broader place, you're going to be able to perceive it. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, like nothing else, nothing else is a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think actually, if we are committed if our value system prioritizes truth, prioritizes being ourselves, prioritizes essence, we are likely to experience more change, more volatility, because our devotion to that edge will take us new places constantly. Whereas, I just, can I quote a poem? Yes. Please bring poetry here. (laughs) I don't think I want to read the whole thing, but this is because quite a long poem by Wendell Berry called Manifesto, the Mad Farmer Liberation Front. And I'm just going to read the first couple lines. Love the quick profit, the annual raise, vacation with pay. Want more of everything ready-made. Be afraid to know your neighbors and to die, and you will have a window in your head. Not even your future will be a mystery anymore. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. When they want you to buy something, they will call you. When they want you to die for profit, they will let you know. So friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Denounce the government and embrace the flag. It goes on and on and on. It's quite inspiring. But just that like, oh, we actually, it is in our avoidance of death or in our attempt to like put everything into boxes to be predictable, to make things permanent. That is how we die without dying. Mm-hmm. Like that's how we die in, a, in the way that we're not meant to. Maybe this is a widely held thing, but I think of the Bhagavad Gita and I have not read the Bhagavad Gita, but there's a line from it that I know where Krishna's talking about He's telling Arjuna how at the end of our life, we take off our body like you take off your clothes at the end of the day. And just like you would put on a fresh set of clothes, you put on a fresh body. And my working theory is that that's not physical death that he was talking about, but that actually <laughs> this is a process that we're constantly going through. Uh, 
So like, what if we could even be conscious and intentional and insane almost in doing those things that the poem suggests are going to be your slow death, but to to like purposefully cause that death so you can find out who you are on the other side now. It's cool because I have I have had the experience of seeing my own reincarnation in this lifetime, in this body. But you this moment with you is the first time that I have ever actually considered what feels very true to me, which is that Krishna was pointing to that very specific like, yes, of course. Well, my ego identity loves to think that I'm the only person who's ever thought that. <laughs> like this was somehow an original thought on the planet. I, but I, I'm not actually attached to it. I would claim. I think you should claim it because it feels good to you. Why not? I've thought about this a lot. So if it hasn't, if it hasn't landed in me before, I think you can take credit. Well, I can at least do a podcast on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting that the Bhagavad Gita came up too, because I my original thought that feels like that to me about the Bhagavad Gita is about another, there's another chapter where Krishna is talking about, this is a very quotable moment in the Bhagavad Gita, that it is better to live your own purpose imperfectly than to live someone else's perfectly. When I was studying the Bhagavad Gita as a spiritual student, I don't really think I understood what that meant. It was one of those like, We'll talk about it and contemplate it, but it, it did not feel clear. And then when I started doing this work, meaning when I started my business and started really examining the the ways in which I was not being myself, basically, what I saw were all the programs. I was a very good girl. I was a very good student. I was a people pleaser. I felt like I was a very good daughter. And when I did anything that was prioritizing taking care of myself made me extremely uncomfortable. You know, I couldn't Anyway, all that, so many roles. And that became, it was like, oh, it's this isn't about life purpose. This is about who are you really? It is better to be the truth of who you really are, even if it's messy or people don't like it or you don't always know who that is. It's better to do that, even if it's changing every mother day and people think you're insane, than to be the good girl perfectly. It is better to be the truth of who you are than and do it as a complete shit show. Not that that's required, but I think that for me, I had to kind of give myself permission to go there than to do this other role that has been imposed upon you and do it so well that no one even realizes that that's not who you are. And so I, I think that these are, the, I, it's not surprising to me, but I'm having a moment of like, whoa, these are the same conversation. That's cool changing why is my business changing why is why are the things around me changing more now than they were before oh because i'm being more radically myself now than i have ever been that makes sense i am allowing the dying to happen more than i ever have both the kind of death that happens while i'm still jesse johnson born in 1980 as well as the big death that will happen at some point yeah what we understand to be the actual end of your experience in this body. And it was it was so funny when you were talking earlier about this sense that you have in your body when you tap into ancient ancestors that we're supposed to be aware of our own death. It 
uh, it brought the question, I was like, of course, right? Because anything that we can be aware of is what we need to be aware of. And anything we're not aware of, we don't need right now. We'll be aware of it when we need it. And I was like, what are we not aware of? Like, what you know, especially when you think about the death threshold, like, is there something that happens? I mean, this is like the big question, but I mean, like in a specific way, something that is as pronounced as death that we just have no idea about because we don't need to know it until we're inside of it. We don't need to follow that thread, but it was just, it was an interesting question. Uh-huh. That came- uh-huh. <laughs> One of the most mundane examples that I can think of is lead generation. I think that there's a lot of, a lot. there's somehow the idea in business, maybe in every business, not just transformational businesses, but there's so much of this feeling that like, if you just do X, Y, Z, then you'll generate leads and you'll never have to think about it again. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, no, it's like food. Like, is there something that can happen that will have it be so that you don't ever have to think about eating? I don't know that I want that life if it is available, but I'm not aware of that yet. It's like, I'm going to have to eat again. Doesn't matter how good this meal is. So there's something about that, like, again, at that most gross level that feels like that is the principle of business. There is nothing that that is for us in our businesses that that we're meant to never think about. And my lens on this now is it's one or the other. Like, if we don't want to think about it, we need to stop thinking about it now. And if yeah. if that's not an option, then we need to change our relationship to it because... So falling in love with lead gen, falling in love with sales, falling in love yes. with marketing, falling in love with all these things. This is this is this is the path I think to sustainability. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Like sometimes when that comes up in some of the spaces I'm holding, I will make a metaphor of mothering. As a mother, there is never a moment where I have said, you know, I wish I just didn't have to think about my kids. You know, not once. Not even in the moments where they were sick and I was tired and we didn't know what was going on, you know, because I love them. And so if we let ourselves love money, if we let ourselves love the process of how people come into our business, it's like such a mercy, really. We made this beautiful short film, right? Right. And I was four months old when we shot it. We shot a lot of different things, but what we ended up making the film about was was my lens on motherhood at that time. And I had just, just recently kind of come back to work. And so it was very fresh for me mm-hmm. that that there was there was the before going back to work and after. And I just cry in the film talking about my love for not only, of course, I love Kanai, but like the love that I have for that time because before I went back to work, because I was thinking about him every second, mm-hmm. every moment I thought about him. Not like I was making an effort. I just, that's just what was happening. And I had never, ever, ever before experienced anything so, I want to say pure, so undiluted at least in this spiritual lineage of bhakti that, you know, I'm a Krishna devotee. So in that lineage, the highest aim on the surface, at least, is to think about God all the time, right? They call it Krishna consciousness because the aspiration is to be conscious of God all the time. 
you know, I always think that sounds great. I love God. I love being close to God, but I'm, I don't think I've ever thought about God every second, not ever. I mean, for like three breaths, maybe, you know, it's like, that's the whole koan or the joke of, of spiritual life is that we're, we're trying to do this impossible thing. <laughs> but when Kenai was born for his first six weeks, two months, something like that, when I wasn't doing anything but learning how to be his mom, that is all. He was with me in my consciousness at all times. And when I went back to work and that shifted and there were breaks, there were moments where I wasn't thinking about him. It felt like a loss to me. It felt like, I don't know, in some ways, like leaving the heavenly realms and coming down to earth where we experience all kinds of contrast. And I was just so struck by that when I, when you made the connection, because it's pretty new for me, you know, to make the connection between how I love Kanai and anything in my business. He's, he, my business has been around a lot longer than my babe. So hearing you say that was also like kind of eye-opening. It was like, oh, to love things in my business the way, the way that I love Kanai. What to speak of how I loved Kanai in those first months, like mm-hmm. to have that level of, of to be heartbroken if I wasn't thinking about him. Mm-hmm. If I don't want to be that intimate with my business, I don't have a judgment about that. You know, someone listening, if they're like, I don't know, that sounds a little, a little extreme there. But it feels like a really important question to ask because what what are what am I doing in any arena, relationship, work, spiritual life, and anything that I'm doing? What am I doing if it's not that important to me? Like, I feel like if you don't feel that way about your business, maybe not every single piece of it, but you're clear that it's all tied to something that you love, whether we use the word purpose or vision or highest self or, you know, whatever language we're using, it tends to not work very well. But when we're that illuminated by our connection to what we love, it's like it the it just unfurls in front of you. At least that's been my experience. And I've definitely had both. And and I feel like a lot of the women that I encounter, they're so passionate and they are truly devoted to their work. And myself included, it's a constant practice of remembering why. Why am I here? Can I let myself actually be as in love with this as I really am instead of just being in that kind of like dutiful place? People listening are going to either feel this or they're not going to understand most of what's happening today because it's not in the things that we're saying. Mm-hmm. For me, it's it's inside, underneath, in between. But what we're saying is also so fun and delicious and somehow it's provoking the experience. So I'm, I'm really into it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that you used the word provoking twice already because that's also my jam, right? As <laughs> attention is. I know that there's a gate a particular gene key gate that is very much about provocation, the the requirement to provoke and to be provoked, though I can't remember the name or the number right now. I was like, you are familiar to me. Like <laughs> this is, and it's been fun to, you know, along these lines of evolving edges of authenticity to really value that, to build a life that provokes me in the ways that I understand I want to be provoked or need to be provoked. 
to let myself, I'll say, practice being open enough that I can be provoked, mm. you know, rather than building like a shell. And I don't know what I thought I would do inside of that shell, but not be provoked, you know, try to figure it out myself, maybe. Yeah. 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 Phase one is where I think I started and where a lot of people that I worked with in my early years were starting, which was, I want to build a business so that I can be, be myself, serve as myself, help other people. Like it came from a really lovely place, but it was so different from how I was living that I wasn't able to flesh out many of the details. It was like when people come to me and they're like, I want to be on Oprah or I want to be Oprah. They're, that's such a beautiful vision. And it's it's like there's a whole lot of space between where they are and what that looks like that they don't know anything about yet. So phase one for us advanced folks is still whatever, on top of a foundation of much more. But there's something, there's something about that that feels significant. And 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 in that transition of really moving that into form. I, I'm going to propose phase two was falling in love with all the other little parts. Falling in love with sales for me was the hugest one because I was terrified of sales. I was terrified to hear no. I didn't want to hear no. It's not that I was terrified. I mean, I was also terrified, but I didn't want to hear it. I wanted everybody to say yes. So putting myself in this position where I would not hear exactly what would please me and make me feel amazing about myself was was really edgy and so so again in those early years i think so many of the edges in my business were about loving the thing that was required in order to make the fantasy that i had had the vision that was flowing through me real then i had a business and it was a multi-million dollar business and it was rocking and rolling but there were still all these things that were frustrating or annoying or unpleasant or weren't working at the level that I wanted them to or whatever. And I would say that phase went on quite a while, but that brought me to the phase that I'm in now, mm-hmm. which is like, actually, I I don't know if there's anything that I or we as a as a gathering of transformational business owners or transformational people doing our work in whatever context we're in. I don't know if I believe anymore. I don't think I believe anymore that there are certain things that can be less than others. Like I love coaching my clients, but I'm just not that into writing marketing campaigns, but it's okay. Cause I'm going to get to coach my clients. Like I'm not, I'm not really buying it. I'm really feeling like and this is the work of the last six months, that I I want to be this excited, this aligned, this resonant with every activity that I do in my business. Mm-hmm. I know how to fall in love with things. Now, it's a tender thing because it almost loops me back. It's And I can hear the skeptics in my own head, like, I think I'm just fantasizing now. Who, who can mm-hmm. build a business that they don't have to sacrifice anything for they're going to love every part of their business nobody loves every part of their husband or wife they can't love every part like those voices are so loud but i'm i'm like 
I don't I don't know. Cause look at what Juliet's doing right now on this podcast. It's radical. All the podcast people out there are gonna be like, you can't do that on a podcast. Nobody's gonna listen to that. Can I tell you a secret that won't be a secret now that I'm saying it on the podcast? I don't listen to other people's podcasts. I don't actually know what's supposed to happen on a podcast. Even so, I can still not a not a lot, but sometimes I can hear the voices that think they know what a podcast is supposed to be and that are like, you're not supposed to do it that way. Or like, isn't there a way that you're supposed to do it? But I would, like, I'm so much more interested in this being like a collection of artifacts, of like holy artifacts that can be interacted with in whatever way the listener needs in that moment. Like if they need to listen to 20 of them all in a row, it'll do something. Not because it was planned out, <laughs> but but because there's there's an essence, right? Or maybe they just need to listen to one. I don't know. But I I want to be that like flying blind, I guess. You want to get lost a little bit? I do. Thank you for reminding me of that. <laughs> And it's funny because, like, I managed to do it still here, even in Sedona, even with GPS. Like, I still will get lost. And every time it happens, I'm like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Would you be willing to share some of the most, mm, hard to choose an adjective here, the most, most experiences that you've had in in embodying this practice of like equal ecstasy in all things in your business like are there synchronicities surprises shock blessings well a small one but a, a one that was anyway in my mind as you were asking that question is that i i stopped doing podcasts maybe not quite a year ago like guessing on people's podcasts mm -hmm. i'm i'm very good at talking to people I can basically talk to anybody. I can, I can, I think I can do some good in those contexts, but I just wasn't having fun. I was like, this is literally like, this is a 10th of the fun that I am normally having. I'm, I'm significantly sacrificing the fun mm -hmm. in order to do this. And it's not because I don't know how to fall in love with it. I can, I can fall in love with the practice of getting on people's podcasts. I can do that. But this feels like actually the spiritual practice or the edge for me isn't about that anymore. It's about giving myself permission to stop doing it. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to people that I already know and love. I don't want to be booked on strangers podcasts. So I, I fired that team or transitioned them to something else. And I don't know that I've done anything like that since until today. And of course, this is not a podcast. This is a collection of artifacts. This is art. This is uh, esoteric, wordless, something happening underneath. What it's like? I do think that the the one of the key words for me in this time has been permission. Permission to have even more of what I want to prioritize it in in the interstitial, not just the the broad strokes, not just the big financial goal or the big scale of the business, but everywhere 
in every direction and not from a place of pressure like i i'm i'm impressing someone mm-hmm. i've i've made the the grade if i if i now have a business that i love in every possible di- i'm like Ugh. it's like it's not about anybody else nobody even knows the difference i know the difference only i can even recognize this is not correct for me i'm not going to do this i mean this story is not done i can feel that there there, there is a chapter that will have an ending in this story that has not arrived yet so we should speak again when that you know when i can look back and be like and here's what happened stage four yeah exactly level four yeah but what i what i have experienced for sure is that i am this is what i want to work i do not want my or anyone's self-sacrifice to be effective i don't want our toleration to be useful. I think it has been used. Our toleration has been used by conditioning, by culture, by society, by patriarchy, by white supremacy. I just don't believe in it. And so for me, this, this, in, in so many ways, it's the most spiritual thing I've ever done. It is the most activist act I have ever performed. It is the most artistic, beautiful creation I have ever made. This is the thing. This is the thing. Mm-hmm. And and I I have one sense, which is like, I, I needed to do everything I did in order to get here. I don't think that what I was doing before was wrong and now I'm doing it right. I've been evolving and this is this is where I'm at now. And at the same time, I do think that I have the capacity, knowing what I know now, to give permission and support for permission. Because it's not really, I'm not the one giving permission, but to sort of like role model and point the way, like permission is here. You can give it to yourself Mm -hmm. to be really uncompromising in a way that I didn't fully get until more recently. Like other people, I think, can learn from my learning and skip those steps either completely or faster that we can, all of us, be the most radical about trusting our impulses and what feels correct for us in the big things, in the small things, everywhere. Yes, 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 and thank you. If our listeners wanted to find out more about you or about how they could be supported with you in this kind of way, where should they go? Jesse Johnson Coaching on all the platforms. YouTube, that's my website, that's my Instagram. I'm most active on Instagram right now. Those places will always have me as long as those places exist. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, isn't it fun and terrifying and exciting and provoking to imagine the day that the internet will no longer exist? That's a whole other podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. It feels sort of exciting. <laughs> I agree. Even as I, I mean, I love that, well, this is how I understand it, that we've created all this technology to do the things that we probably could already do just within our human capacity, like have telepathy or have conversations with each other over long distances. Mm-hmm. But we decided to make this technology and I love it. And um, whenever it goes away, I'm really excited to see what comes next. Thank you so much. 
I know I started with praising and ex- you know expressing my excitement for this podcast existing, and I'm even more excited now. Like what relief, it's such a relief that this is in the world, that you show up in the way that you do and, and don't participate in all the ways that you opt out. That is my superpower, not participating. I love it. I'm so grateful. You're welcome. And thank you for being the way that you are. <laughs>